This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning. You're tuned into The Property Show, our weekly take on all things property related. And I'm Philip C. It's the last Friday of the month and as usual, our guest is Ringo Lau for the Property Legal Clinic. Today, we are taking a deeper look at discrimination in properties following discussions about proposed changes on the tenancy of rented houses. A very good morning to you, Dr. Ringo. How are you doing? Uh, good morning, Philip C. I'm doing fine. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me yet again to this session? Well, this session is an interesting one because there has been a lot of talk about amendments being proposed in the Residential Tenancy Act to address discrimination. Could you perhaps give us some context to what these amendments are all about? Well, the government, uh, through the Housing and Local local Government Ministry, has proposed that the Residential Tenancy Act to be enacted to basically curb discrimination practices uh, that are quite rampant as uh, displayed in the media and raised by politicians, uh, more on the race factor. There there have been quite a fair bit of complaints that certain certain races are are being denied equal opportunity as tenant to to secure tenancies. I, I think it all stems from that. So the government is trying to address it. And of course, the government has also sought the views of various stakeholders. I think they they did a a monthly survey through the National Productivity Council, uh, where they get invite the public to give them a response on on matters pertaining to discrimination in tenancies. And it is, uh, I think, they've collected all their data as of twenty eighth of February. So, but nothing's been released yet. So we are still in the dark as to what is the next stage from that. So we don't have any sense of the data because I recall in November last year, you know, the local government minister, Dr. Sri Rizal Marika Naina Marikan, acknowledged actually in parliament that there was discrimination in the Malaysia's property rental market. So we don't have a sense of the scale of this level of discrimination, do we? But we just hear all the anecdotal feedback taking place from different quarters, right? Certainly, certainly. But, but Phil, I'm sure you have seen as well, I mean, the newspapers have played it up also, the media has showed, showed signs, tendencies where it says only for certain race, you know? I, I, I mean, it, the hype is there. Yeah. Certainly, the hype is there. I mean, so I, we, yeah, I see that quite evident, especially if you go to the urban centres, you do see those plaquettes and signboards. So, you know, the broader overarching question in my mind is, with federal constitution, right, Article 8, it does prohibit racial discrimination. So why do we need to make this amendment since we have the federal constitution here? Yes, uh, Phil, we've got, we've got Article 8, uh, more, more particularly Clause 2 of the federal constitution that, that basically says there shall be no discrimination. That's a basic structure of the government when, 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 when our country was set up. Now, they would want to practice this non-discriminatory actions or practices from the governmental side. But we are dealing here, the topic that we're talking about is more on the commercial side. Those are between individuals or corporations per se. Does not involve governmental bodies as such. So I I think this area is still uh, largely unenacted. It's still open field for everyone. 
But of course, the government on their part has made it very clear that they don't condone discrimination. So we have this remedy. Should there be any governmental actions that that infringes Article 8, then of course, the, the various citizens who are aggrieved can take the necessary action. But insofar as tenancies and properties concerned, I think these are all commercial factors, commercial decisions. I don't think the government has actually intervened So, okay, so distinction you're trying to draw here is that, you know, the constitution talks between what the government does with its relationship with and counterparty with other members of the public and Malaysia. But here you're referring to between a commercial enterprise with an individual and even between two individuals, correct? That is so, that is so. So then this is the bigger challenge, isn't it? Because when you start entering this realm of commercial versus individual, individual versus individual, how do you distinguish between discrimination and preference? That is, I think, sometimes one of the biggest debates we have, isn't it? That, you know, what someone perceives to be discriminatory, but for others it's just, you know, a bit more blander or paler like preference. So how do you kind of walk this very fine tightrope? Actually, in discrimination, there are two forms of discrimination. There is what I would call a direct discrimination and an indirect discrimination. A direct discrimination will come about where, for instance, somebody puts up the sign that it's for certain races or it's for certain sex only. So that's very direct. It's very obvious that certain races are being preferred or certain sectors of the society are being preferred over the rest. Now, indirect discrimination can come about in a very subtle way like what you suggested, preference. Like, for instance, we are in a very highly uh, highly dense students' community, let's say near University of Malaya or, or Sunway College area where there are a lot of students. And then landlords start putting out notices to say that, oh, families preferred. Hmm. So I, I would take it that that would be an indirect form of discrimination. So it, it's, it has got to be taken in the context of where the notices are being put out or, or what is expected. So then when we construct all these kind of clauses, right, do they have to be super explicit uh, in terms of what form of discrimination they in, 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 in cover? And even if you are being very super specific about this, you can walk around it, right? You can get around it, isn't it, through other ways of indirect discrimination. How does the law then reflect and address these indirect uh, discrimination practices then? I'm afraid the law is finding it very difficult. Mm. Finding very difficult to curb and curtail discrimination. I mean, it's, uh, discrimination laws are not new. It has been you know, enacted and practiced overseas in, in, in more developed countries like uh, UK, Australia, Singapore. So it's, it's not easy for the law to catch up. So I believe there are various loopholes, there are various ways that one can get around it. And, and I think our government are pretty cautious about it as well. They're pretty aware of it. They also do not want to appear to be intervening in, in contracts or what you call the laissez-faire nature of contract, freedom of contract. The, the government should not be seen interfering too drastically or too much into it. So they're, they're being very cautious. That's why they get public opinion, feedback. And now they, I think they're digesting the feedback to see how best to, to deal with uh, matters of this. I'm sure you would also read about the various associations like Reda or National Housing Association. They also express their views and their concern that, you know, uh, one has to tread very carefully 
in, in, in this yes. area of, of the of the law, so to speak. Yes, it's very true, and and you know, for many people, intuitively, we think, oh well, this is, makes like uh, a lot of sense to do it, but you hear a lot of division and divisiveness over this debate, and as you say, right, many quarters talk a lot about let's focus on fixing the economy first, as opposed to making all these amendments taking place, and as you say, right, discrimination is something that has to be done and thought through very well. I want to just get your perspective on this. You know, are there certain forms of discrimination that potentially could be justified? You know, for example, like a woman landlord seeking female tenants only. You know, some would say that form of discrimination is justified. What's our take in that? How do you think the law needs to interpret if we want to allow that kind of discrimination to take place then? Well, like I said, to, to enact such a law to, to control discrimination per se, it's not easy. I, I think there must be some discre- discretionary power given to certain body. I mean, I, I hear that there's talk that they want to have a commissioner for res- residential tenancies to to make some decisions where there's state law or, or there is some disputes between landlord and tenant. I think that will be good because like the instance that you have posed, you know, if I if I'm the landlady, you know, and I'm living there as well, of course I will feel safer to have female tenants rather than male individual tenants. Now, if if they set out a notice that females only, surely the male also could arguably say that this is discriminatory yeah. against them. So what do we do? So therefore, I think it's good to have the commissioner of rent, residential tenancies to come in to moderate instances like this. I mean, the law. Yes, it's good to have the law. But we got to temper it with with uh, with some discretion to fit the circumstances. Yeah, so your point is very interesting, which is, look, I could have the law in place, but what is more important is to marry it with some form of tribunal, some form of neutral body that will be able to pass it. The debate in question will be how neutral will that body be? How do we make sure that the construct of that governance is in place to make sure that the interpretation is done with the right spirit then? Yes, I mean, the law can only do so much. But the person sitting in position or the commissioner, the, the proposed commissioner of residential tenancies, he's got to be one that is open-minded, that is understanding, that is more progressive. You know? so, so it's the person that fills the position, I, I, I think, that will matter the most at the end of the day. On today's property show, we have a conversation with Datuk Ringo Lau on the proposed amendments to discrimination in properties in the Residential Tenancy Act. Stay tuned after these messages, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. You're tuned in to The Property Show on The Morning Round. I'm Philip C. and with me is Ringo Lau from Ringo Lau & Associates here with me for the monthly property legal clinic that takes place on the last Friday of the month. And today we deep dive on discrimination in property. You know, Dr. Ringo, if found, what are the typical penalties that are being proposed if one is found to have adopted discriminatory practices then? I, I, I think at the moment, it's quite difficult to, to enforce it in terms of uh, compensatory nature, but I think it's more of a punitive nature, perhaps a fine, you know, that sort of thing that would uh, meet the actual circumstances. I think to, to, to impose imprisonment would be too harsh. A fine would be effective to maybe encourage compliance and to deter others from, from uh, resorting to such practices. But uh, compensatory... Issues I don't think will be relevant here. 
So when we talk about, you know, designing this uh, act, uh, what we understand from the Minister of Tourism, Marikan, was that the act is trying to be modelled after New South Wales in Australia, right? The Residential Tenancies Act of 2010. And it also takes cue from similar laws that are being uh, enacted in Germany, the United Kingdom and South Africa. When you hear this example of trying to take benchmarks from these kind of countries, what do you think needs to be subtly looked at or need to be reframed that's unique to Malaysia in particular? I think we've got to look at the context of our society vis-a-vis those societies. I mean, some of the societies there are very mature societies. They, they are more understanding, they're more receptive to, to matters which are discriminatory in the sense that they will take serious action against it. Whereas in our context here, we have got to pander with the majority of the people in our country as well. Mm. You've got to take into account uh, social factors too. Mm. So, so I think it's not easy just to import laws from other jurisdictions. We've got to tailor it to our local circumstances, I would say. I mean, I think this is going to be very challenging to implement, isn't it? Because, you know, talking even about earlier, you were mentioning about this mechanism for people to make their complaints through a tribunal. Even that proposal, which was meant to be uh, implemented by the National Unity Consultative Council, was even shelved due to significant objections, right? So we can't even get to the point of a tribunal. What say else the law, right? Yeah. You say, Phil, even if, if you put yourself or myself as the landlord, I mean, we surely would want also the freedom of choice to choose our tenant because it's our property. You know, it's our money at the end of the day. Now, now, government seeks to want to regulate it to say that, for instance, the deposits, let's go into a deposit. They say that, you know, the two-month uh, rental deposit as well as the one-month uh, utility deposit to be held by the statutory body or the government. Now, of course, all landlords are very displeased with this. You know, it's like the money is put there, the interest, I don't get to earn it, but it's my property that's been let out. What if there are problems later on that I need to to resort to rectification or, or doing good, any defects along the way, you know? So what is the process? How long will it take for me to get my money back, you know? So there are still a lot of question marks. There is a risk, though, that if you don't put this in place, that in the end you you empower, uh, you know, certain groups to take action or to drive it or formalize it, right? So, for example, is there a risk that, you know, condo management bodies, you know, JMBs, GMCs, could, you know, implement by them own selves perceived discriminatory practices if there isn't this overarching law in place then? I can't really give any views on that. You know, as far as this joint management bodies, MCs are concerned, but I don't think they want to play too active a role in, in tenancies of, of individuals because they themselves have, have a lot to attend to, I think. <laughs> you know, so I don't think they, they want to participate in it. Yeah. I, I really doubt it. But it, come, it brings back to the earlier point you raised, which is really this delicate relationship we always talk about in terms of the balance between landlord and tenant. You say just now that the tenant actually can pick the landlords. So how do you kind of try and address it the other way around, right? Where the landlord is also being selective and picky with respect to the tenant. That is the central question, isn't it? Rebalancing the relationship between the landlord and the tenant. I mean, I, I, I for one, it's, a, it's a, a personal advocate of freedom of contract, but I still believe also there must be regulation. I mean, there, there is a suggestion, I think, by somebody to say that perhaps it be regulated in respect of uh, 
contracts where the rentals are below a certain amount. I think there was an amount of 750,000, uh, 750 ringgit per month suggested, I think to cover to the B40 that will not be exploited, you know, or, or will not suffer the, 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 what you call the ills of discrimination. Yeah. I, I think that is something uh, worthwhile considering. But for the higher end market, I think the landlords themselves would want to have a control over their property and their funds. So, I don't so know. Maybe the government should look into this sector. Yeah, but you're you're kind of implying we should try and build thresholds and uh, create a bit of an open market. But then eventually, where do you draw the line later? Isn't it? Also I know. I know. So it's not easy. I, I agree. It's not an easy answer to to the questions posed. That's why I think the government's still holding back. I, I doubt if by July they can they can present the, the bill in whatever modified form. I, I doubt it very much too. But if they can, that would be good, yes. I guess the trickier part will be, you talked about the relationship between corporate individuals, but we all make this assumption that they're all Malaysians. Where do we then draw the line with respect to non-Malaysians? Because we've also seen many, many of these signs also singling out or carving out to exclude certain nationalities and races, right? Even uh, how do we kind of manage non-Malaysian in nature and what recourse is the non-Malaysian uh, who wants to access these housing what, what, what recourse yeah, do they take? Uh, I'm afraid without the law, without the law, these non-Malaysian nationals are, are really left in the lurch. You know, if the law is enacted and, and it should, I believe it should also cover non-Malaysian nationals. It, it, it can be defined in the sense that it, it extends to all residents. You don't have to be marked by nationalities. I'm aware that there is a, a, a big community of uh, foreign students as well in, in, in certain locality, you know, where there are university colleges which they are attending. Uh, and I know that there are instances where landlords have put out notices, you know, not wanting those sectors of foreign students and all those. I mean, it, it is not quite right as well. I, I believe they should be also granted the right to be protected against discriminatory practices. In the end, if the federal government doesn't take action uh, on this law, do you think state governments would be compelled to do that? Is that is that a potential option for certain state governments to explore that? Because we've seen that happen in other kinds of legislation, right? Where perhaps the federal government doesn't do anything, but the state government does. Is that a re- is that a potential option? Yes, that, that is a, that is a potential option available to the state government if they want to. But I, I personally don't see any initiative on their part at the moment. But if they do, it is most welcome. It is most welcome. We we seen this debate suddenly heat up. You know, it's been going on and brewing for quite a long time. Uh, what is the consultation process? Or what is the process needed for it to be tabled in July? Because we are now in the month of April. You only have two and a half months left. Is has the July date sailed past already? I think the more important question, if it's everybody's mind or most politicians' mind, is that. Will uh, a general election be held mm. <laughs> after July, after the MOU expires? I, I, I think that that one is uh, predominantly uh, playing a more important uh, role in everybody's mind, those politicians. But coming back directly to your question, I think if the Ministry of uh, Housing and Local Government would want to table it by July, it's not impossible because they have gotten their feedback by end of uh, February. They've got the month of March and now April. Probably they would have analyzed all the feedback. I think one month to put up the proposed amendments, that would cover the month of May. And I think June, July, if they want, if they are not too bogged down with other things, yes, it can be done. Mm. It can be done by July. Then the, the bills will go through like uh, normal uh, three readings in, in the lower house. 
and then subsequently the three readings in the upper house, and then get the get the assent of the younger Tuanago, it'll become law. It can be done. And this can be done. And, and I wonder from a scope standpoint, when we talk about this, right, the focus would be on rentals only or would it also be a broader gamut of any property-related transaction, for example, even a sale and purchase? I, I think they are concentrating more on, on residential tenancies, tenancies per se. I think sale is kind of difficult to regulate because there's this principle of caveat and toilet buyer beware, you know, which is very applicable in, in a sale transaction. I, I don't think it will extend to sale at this juncture. I would presume that when you just focus on rentals, we mean all forms of property, right? Uh, and this would also cover private and public housing across the board? Yes, I should think so. I should think so. It ought to be in that way. Well, that's all the time we have for today's monthly property legal clinic. Join us again next month as we help shed light on your legal conundrums. Dr. Ringo, thank you so much for taking your time to answer this relatively challenging topic today. I really appreciate your time. It's my pleasure, Phil. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So if you have more questions, send your questions to property at bfm.my or WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899. We have the 10 a.m. news bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise, BFM 89.9. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.